Welcome to Thoughtfully Mindless. My guest in this episode is Bree Smith. Bree is a wealth strategist and a certified public accountant. We had a great conversation around finances and wealth, and I think anyone who wants to improve their financial position or just understand wealth and money better will find a lot of value in this episode. And with that, let's welcome Bree. Bree, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you are a wealth strategist, and we're going to talk a little bit about generational wealth and uh, wealth strategies. Um, what is financial freedom to you? Oh, I love that question. So financial freedom to me means that no one in my bloodline ever suffers with money again. And so that means several generations from now, they're still not making decisions based off of financial constraints. But instead, if they want to be a teacher, they can. And and if teachers are still not being paid well, it's okay. Um, They can step into their God-given purpose doing that. And if they want to be an astronaut, they're like, oh, it's just rocket science. Like, it's no big deal. We have money for me to go to the best schools. I'm already excelling. Like, I don't have an issue with that. So financial freedom to me means that money is no longer a constraint in my decision making. So I don't have to go to a job that I hate every single day, or I don't have to make decisions from a place of lack and nor will my descendants because it's all about generational wealth. It's not good enough for me to just change that for me, but I want to change that for my bloodline and my family tree forever. Awesome. What does a wealth strategist actually do? So what is, how do you work with clients? Yes. So what I do is I work with my clients to come up with custom financial plans to actually reach their dream goals and start living their dream life now. And so um, how I define financial freedom is not how my clients always define financial freedom. Some of them just want to be able to live half of the year in Puerto Rico or be able to take a trip to Dubai. Um, And they're like, hey, I made it. This is awesome. If I can leave my kids some money, that's fine. So it's also getting very clear with them about what they view as financial freedom, what their goals are, getting crystal clear on those. Um, and I'm really big on finding the goals that like make your heart smile and jump. Like the ones that you're scared to say out loud because you think someone's going to call you crazy. Like it's okay to dream crazy with me. We're going to come up with a plan with proven wealth strategies to actually reach those goals, to make it a reality. So we're not just dreaming or wishful thinking. We're looking at how we can budget, save, um, get out of debt, invest, and even repair our credit so that we can reach those goals. Awesome. So what does that look like for people? Let's say um, in general, how does how does somebody go from, you know, they're not thinking about wealth at all. They're just getting by day to day, paycheck to paycheck, maybe. How do they shift that mindset? How do you help them shift that mindset toward actually paying attention to that stuff and working on improving their finances? So to be honest, I used to never deal with mindset at first. I was like, you need to work on mindset first because none of this is going to work if you don't have the right mindset coming in. And um, because I'm not a mindset coach or anything by that nature. Um, I am a believer in Christ and he did put on my heart to, you know, do a course called Position to Purpose. Um, or I mean, Position to Prosper. And so with that, it's more so attacking the mindset of the Christian that, hey, look, we're not supposed to be on life. You're not, there's no way your father is supposed to be the king of kings and then you're supposed to be um, in poverty and that's so holy or cute. Like that's just not a thing to do. So, um, 
during that, I'm just making sure that they understand their purpose and who God has called them to be and how um, he wants more for his children. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to have riches untold. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. But money itself is not. And in fact, he blessed um, those who loved him and followed him abundantly. Jesus was not broke. They were on a yacht. There was no way he was off asleep while a storm was going on um, in a rowboat. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to go get someone on a robot rowboat. You nudge them and you like wake up so i mean they were on a yacht he was off sleeping in a bed probably up there like whatever like this is no big deal so it's more so um the way that i attack that is more so just coming at hey this is who god has called you to be you there's greatness in you he has purpose for you and he wants you to prosper and there's no reason for you to hate money um it's not the devil it's not evil um you know but just don't be greedy God just warns us against greed. And so that's how I attack that mindset. Yeah, I like it that you actually touched on that quote that popped into my mind because everyone knows that um, that biblical saying, like everyone thinks it's uh, money is the root of all evil, but you clarified it is the love of money is the root of all evil. And mm-hmm. I think that's important because money is just a tool, really. I mean, yes. that's the way I see it. So. It, it's that love of money and just wanting more money just because that's all you want, right? Um, so when people are building their wealth strategies, do you help them figure out what they want to do with their money in the long term? Because money can be used oh, yeah. for good, obviously. Yes, it can. And so that's why step one is getting clear on your goals. Um, before we do anything else, it doesn't matter what strategies I throw at you. If you don't care about it or if it's not like, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to have more money, like whatever. A lot of people I meet are not selfish people. So they're not greedy people. They're not, a lot of people like we all, I mean, I think we can all agree. We all would like more money in our lives. Like (laughs) no one is going to reject someone putting more money in their life. Like if someone said that you won the lottery, even if you didn't play, you would just be, look at God. Like this is an awesome coincidence. So we all want more money in our lives. Um, However, it's not enough to make people work for it. People work to keep a roof over their heads, to give their children safety. And um, they work to, you know, be able to be comfortable. They so they go to work each day for those things. But then when you tell them that, hey, look, we're going to have to be making some significant changes in how you handle the money that you're bringing in. You may even have to change how you're earning money so that you can be able to make enough so that you're able to do the things that really matter to you. Like this is a lifelong journey. This is not something that you come to me and then three months later, six months later, you're a millionaire. That's not how it works. You know, if you didn't have millions before or if you weren't didn't have that kind of potential before, it's not going to happen overnight. Um so for you to actually stick to the the plan and stick to the strategies that were given to you that actually work for you, you're going to need something deeper. And so usually what we have to do is like, hey, let's get clear on these goals. And even I've had some people that they're like, oh, I have these big, crazy goals. Like I want to go on this trip or I want to, you know, live half of the year in Puerto Rico or whatever. But they're like, Brie, that really does not move me for real. Like, it's just, it's not deep enough. So then it's like, well, what kind of charitable giving do we want to do? What kind of impact do we want to make on the homeless? What kind of impact do we want to make on young children? Um, 
what kind of impact do is it that we want to make inside of our communities so that it's more than just about us. It's more than just about us getting the wants that we have um, because our needs usually don't cost too much. It's the wants that can get expensive. And so um, that's usually not enough to motivate them. But when you start bringing in how they could impact even more people that they love and that they have a heart for, then I think that makes a big difference. So charity is always something that should be a goal as well. It shouldn't just be about, I want, I want, I want. It should also be like, hey, look, I want to be able to help these people or this group of people. Um, For my husband, it's orphans um, and the homeless. And then for me, it's just uh, children or like single moms like have a tug at my heart really hard. Mm. So it's just getting clear on like, who is it that tugs at you? It's not that all situations, I mean, there's all sorts of you know, situations where they can be like, hey, there's kids starving in Africa. Um, and that and that could be someone else's purpose. They're like, hey, look, I want to feed the children in Africa or I want to build schools in Africa. And one day I want to be big enough to be able to do those things too. But I think at first it starts at home and it's like, how can I impact my city? Because there's poverty here. There's issues here that need help. How can I impact my community um, that help raise me or help grow me up? How can I even help my other family members? Like... Yeah. I think that that gets deeper because like I want to be able to help my nephews and nieces to have the best education too. Um, my kids are all in private school, but what if I could also send all of my nephews and nieces to private school too, so that they could get the best education? What would that look like? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. But how much impact would they have? And like, how great would they feel to be having the best of the best and giving them opportunities that maybe um, my siblings can't offer them at the time or aren't in position to. So I think it's definitely about digging deeper. Yeah. How, okay. So you have clients that'll set these, you know, bigger goals. And then there's also the short term, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. Like you said, it's not going to, you're not going to become a millionaire in six months if you don't already have something substantial already there. How do you separate those short term priorities with the long term like somebody wants to somebody has these big goals of helping out these big causes but how do you separate that out from okay but this is what you need to focus on right now and this is what you can help in in the short term how do you kind of separate that out so definitely uh we always go over first year one year so i say short term midterm long term goals yeah. so short term is going to be your one year or less this is what i want to do midterm is more so within that 2 to 5 year range and then long term is usually the 5 to 10 year range and then i also usually put in even another category for like lifetime goals so we're looking 30 years ahead 40 years ahead like on your obituary what do you want it to say that you did um just so that you know that like hey look once i start knocking these out where's my path headed next oh yeah like this is what i said i wanted to do in this lifetime like oh it's time to start that foundation or whatever but also how you um handle a little bit is how you're going to handle a lot so if you can't be a good steward over $10, there's no way you can be a good steward over a million. And so first we're looking at how do you look um, on a short term on a short term to still like be advancing towards your goal. I'm a tither because I'm a God girl. So 10% of my money always goes to the church. But then we talk about um, 
maybe just keeping a little bit of cash. Um, sometimes it's a hundred dollars a month. Sometimes it's $5 or $20 a month, you know, depending on what the month looks like, but that's what we give away to the homeless. If we see someone that's hurting outside, we give them away. It's not, it's not a tax write off for us. Um, cause it's not going through any foundation, but we see someone in need and we help meet that need. Um, even if it's just, Hey, look, we see you hungry. Um, maybe we are, we don't have any cash, but my husband loves going to the gas station to get snacks. And instead he's like, Hey, look, how about you come in here with me and pick out whatever you want to eat yeah. and I'll just pay for it. So it's just like, Hey, those five, 10, $20, um, here and there, I think that helps bless somebody. And then that's also saying that, Hey, look, God, I'm going to take care of this the same way I will take care of when you give me millions. So it's not, you're not going to overnight become a millionaire and start giving someone hundreds of thousands of dollars to a cause when you haven't even given them $5. It's not going to be a switch that goes off. So you have to even do it on the scale that you can now, even if it's just five bucks, like however it is that you can on a scale, like even like one time I only had like a dollar left and all this guy looked at me like, what am I going to do with a dollar? Like this ain't 1990. And I was just like, well, excuse me, sir. (laughs) Like the way he looked at me, I'm like, I could have gave this to someone that was a little bit more grateful. He didn't even want to say thank you, but it was like, whatever it's done now. But it was like, that's all the cash I had. And you're standing here on this corner. So I wanted to help. Um, but it's just definitely seeing how in a small way you can still advance towards those goals. Um, and even how in a small way you can still be saving and putting money aside in your brokerage account. I'm big on starting small. It's okay to just put 20 or $30 aside to invest. Um, it's okay to you know only have 100 bucks to invest a month, whatever that number may be for you. But as long as you're doing that and you're creating good habits, they're going to trail into the future so that when more money comes in, you can be putting thousands of dollars in investments accounts and you can have emergency funds that are thousands of dollars. And you can get to a place where now you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars in a portfolio that you've built over time. And um, you can start looking at investing in real estate because you have 100K just waiting that you're itching to spend like, you know, so but we have to start small first. Yeah. When you were talking about charity, I'm happy you mentioned that your husband will buy stuff at a gas station for people because we live in a society where people do con people out of money. People who don't need charity will act like they need charity sometimes. And I think there's a healthy reason to be skeptical of people, but you can also offer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, food, actual food for people like that and, and help them out potentially. And, and sometimes I've been in that situation where people say, no, I, I just want money. And it's like, sorry, then like, if, if you don't actually need food, I don't know what to tell you right now. Like, I, I want to give this to somebody mm-hmm. who actually wants food, needs something, you know, so I'm happy you touched on that because I think it's unfortunate when people just become so jaded about that because you know we've all seen those videos where somebody gets into a nice car after begging for money or something like that and mm-hmm. um there's all, always that risk of giving your money to somebody who doesn't actually need it but i think the on a grander scale like some of those people are going to need your money or or need help so even if some people con you out of your money Overall, you're probably doing more good than than not by helping people out that are asking for a little bit of help. So, yes, I love that. And that's the part that matters. Like, I kind of got released from that because at first I was like, what if you're about to go? Like when I first started on giving, I would look at people skeptical, like, 
what if you're just going to go spend this on drugs or what if you're just going to go, you know, you're actually not hurting or you look like you're just fine. Like your clothes look better than mine. Like, what do I look like giving you my money? (laughs) Um, Are you saying that you need to you need this much more money to go get in a hotel with your kids? And then I see no kids. Where are the kids right now? Huh? Like, it's just so it's definitely been those situations. Um where I didn't have cash. And then like, I remember one lady trying to tell my husband and direct him to the gas station to go to the ATM machine and get cash out for her. And I'm like the nerve. I'm like, Wendy's across the street. You want something to eat. That's what you're going to get. You're not about to, we're not going to an ATM for you. Like for all I know, you're crazy about, you got people ready to knock him over top of the head. As soon as he gets to the ATM machine, like that's not a thing. So we've definitely run into, uh, those that try and take advantage or, um, even like having to God work on my heart where it's like, what if they're not going to use this for the right thing? Um, But sometimes I don't have time to stop and go buy food. So if I don't have time for that, then I'm just going to give you five bucks. I pray that you do well with it. Hopefully there aren't any drugs that are that cheap. (laughs) Like hopefully there's nothing (laughs) bad that you're going to be able to do with it. Like, you know, but um, I feel like once I give it to you, it's out of my hands. And so I'm not going to worry about it. Um, and I've seen people where we've given them money and they immediately walk towards uh, like Little Caesars Pizza or Wendy's or wherever. Like they were just so hungry. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, it definitely does a lot more good in the world to just give. I mean, because if you if you're in a position to be able to give it, just give it, give it freely. Like don't have any animosity in your heart. Don't be like, well, I could have did better with that. Like, no, just let that go. Release that and like see how it helps them. It, it's going to bless their life one way or another. Yeah. People just need to see good in the world. Even the con man needs to see good in the world and deserves to eat something. <laughs> yeah. And a con man can also change their ways, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they always hope for the best, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. I'm always very reluctant to give anybody any like feedback on any finances because I'm like, I, you know, I have my stuff somewhat together, but not always. Um, And I'm always worried about doing more damage than good. And my girlfriend's little sister was, she got a job and I I overheard a conversation with um, my girlfriend and her talking. And I overheard something being said about like, oh, once I do this and this and this, then I'm going to start putting money away. And I was like, I overheard that. And it's one of the few occasions where I actually chimed in. I'm like, Nope. Start now. Even if it's a dollar, even if it's 50 cents, it doesn't matter. You just want to build the habit. Just want to build the habit of saving. Because if you don't build the habit now, when you do have that money, you're just going to spend it. Like you're going to be in the Mm -hmm. habit of spending your money. So sounds like I gave her decent advice then. Yes. You gave her great advice because how you handle 10 bucks is how you're going to handle a hundred, a thousand, a million. Like there are people that make a half a million dollars a year that are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. There are people that make 800,000, a million dollars a year that are living paycheck to paycheck. And it's like, how that seems impossible. No, it's very much so possible. Private school is not cheap. Um, You know, extracurricular activities for the kids are not cheap. Yachts are not cheap. Multi-million dollar home mortgages are not cheap. Like they can find a way to spend it. These vehicles, like when you just get stuff on top of stuff and you don't invest a penny, you're going to be paycheck to paycheck. It doesn't matter how much income you have coming in. Yeah. So... There's janitors that's retired with millions of dollars and there are even financial planners that made 
over, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, maybe even met the million dollar round table and made a million plus a year. And uh, there was a story of this one guy, he left. So he like retired in his forties and had to go right back within three to five years back to work because mm. he went completely bankrupt Wow! Um, because he had two homes. He had his house and his vacation home and um, he had uh, all of these liabilities basically that yeah. he could not afford. He couldn't keep up his lifestyle and he was about to be homeless. And so he had to go back. And meanwhile, he spends his time advising people on their finances, but he wasn't investing his own because his job was just to invest their money. And like, there's a lot of salespeople in that space because that's all they are, salespeople. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to invest your own money. I'm going to put it here. But obviously he was not investing his money um, during that time. Yeah. And so... He wasn't able to even like, you know, sustain it because there are people that do retire in their 30s and 40s and never have to go back. Yeah. And it's like possible. And I talk to my um, clients about that as well. So, I mean, there's there can be mismanagement of money at any and every stage. The habits are what's important. Yeah. And you kind of touched on this, but those the titles by people's names don't actually say anything about their wealth. Right. Because somebody might be mm-hmm. a doctor, but. Med school comes with quite a bit of debt in in a lot of cases, you know, so somebody might be a doctor making $150,000 a year, $200,000 a year, but they might also have $500,000 in debt. So on on a ledger, they're not looking too good right off the bat, but we have this thing in our society where we'll, we'll see that title and we'll just assume that like doctor equals wealth or, or, you know, something like that. And it's just not always the case. And it's not. And you kind of touched on this. You didn't call it by name, but, um, you know, somebody getting a yacht and all this expensive stuff, uh, keeping up with the Joneses. So yes. people, people <laughs> have this need to, you know, outshine their neighbors or have what their neighbors have. How do you, how do you help people with that? And just kind of looking more inward and not looking so much at what other people have and trying to keep up with that. I think that just comes with getting crystal clear on your goals. You know, like um, if you're clear on your goals, what someone else is doing doesn't matter. You have your own path and you're on that path. Have tunnel vision, like put your blinders on. I don't care what anyone else is doing. Um, I was a single mom and I had to I was working full time, going to school full time, double majoring and had a, a baby at home. And so I couldn't look at my friends or my coworkers and they had the nice Mazda and I'm driving in my 2002 Saturn L100 um, that was old faithful. Like she got me where I needed to go. Um, never had an issue with her. So, I mean, I couldn't look. At, they were going out all the time. They had their hair done, their nails done. And I was rocking this ponytail that I'm rocking today by choice, not by force. But, <laughs> um, but you know, it was like I couldn't have all of those things at that moment. And it felt a little bad. But also, while they were still living at their mom, I was able to get an apartment for me and my daughter. While they were still living with their parents again that next year, I was able to buy a house. And I had tens of thousands of dollars saved. I was able to pay off more than half of my student loans before graduating. So it's like, hey, look, I, it felt like in the moment, oh, I felt like I was missing out. I'm like, 
they get to go ahead. Like we're making the same salary and they get to have their hair done, their nails done. They're living it up. They got this nice, cute car. Like it was a nice car. Not going to lie to you. And I'm over here with just like the only reliable thing. But just within a couple of years, I was able to own my own house buy a brand new car that was for me. It was an Elantra because I'm I'm really a reliability kind of girl and I do not like spending a lot of money on cars. But um, I love my Elantra. I called her royalty. I just sold her this year. Um, I miss her. But, you know, I just, uh, I was able to do all of those things within time. And then they're like, oh, can we come to your house? Because we're still living with our mom and dad and we don't have anything to show for what we're doing. So um, you think that, oh, you're missing out. And it's like, no, you're not. Like you are in a place where you're in position to really outpace what anyone else, like the, just like the story of the tortoise and the hare. So yeah. like they were the hare and I was the tortoise in that situation, like just slowly moving along. But over, um, it was like at a snap of a finger, everything just flipped. And it was like, instead of me looking at, oh, it looks like they have, it's like, I got my own house to come to with multiple bedrooms. I got an office. I have, you know, I have all of this space. And it's like, they're still in a bedroom at their parents' house and, you know, got curfew um, as a grown woman. So it's like, hey, I'm not missing out at all. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes when we see people, you know, living large, spending a lot of money and, all that we don't realize the stress that it's actually causing them behind the scenes because maybe they're not yes. in a situation to do what they're doing. Because a, a lot of people tend to live that way, where they're, you know, they're not paying attention to their finances and they're just, you know, they're living in the moment, in the moment. But then afterward, they're just dreading those choices that they make uh, or that they made the night before, or the week before, or something like that. So. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself as competing against yourself more than other people then? Yeah, I'm definitely competing against myself. And sometimes my old self is whooping my butt. I mean, because like I was really killing it like from an early age. Um, but it was from like due to me like running away from something. I never wanted to be homeless. So I was running away from ever being in a position to be homeless. I never wanted to like have my daughter be without. And so I was like always just like running away from being a statistic, running away from her having a subpar life because I was like, oh, she didn't choose me to be a mama. So it was like a lot of fear base why I accomplished so much. And so like even like being fully transparent, now I'm in a stage where it's like I have to change my motivation because I don't have that fear anymore. Now I'm a married woman. We have four kids. We live in a beautiful home. Homelessness never happened to me. So it's nothing for me to fear anymore. Like, um, so it's just like, you know, I don't, I'm not running away from being a statistic. I'm very comfortable. I'm a little complacent some days. And it's like, now I have to fight that and be like, all right, girl, there's still a whole lot for you to do. There's a whole lot more that we need to accomplish. Like, when are we getting these rental properties? When are we going to start building building our portfolio, our real estate portfolio? I love real estate. I'm really to do HGTV in real life instead of just watching it on TV. <laughs> like, I'm so I'm definitely always like competing with me and also um, realizing that present day Brie is also a lot different than young Brie. Like 
Yumbri was just like really solar focused um, and was like, I'm going to be successful by any means necessary. Um, And I kind of moved like I was so disciplined that it was just like I had this color coded schedule and that's what I stuck to. It was like work at this time, study at this time, plan at this time, homework at this time, (laughs) class at this time, bedtime at this time, like wake up and do it all over it again. And um, like kind of just going by this like schedule that was on uh, the front of my binder that I carried around and stuff for school. So it was like I was like a drill sergeant and it's like I do not want to go back to being a drill sergeant. But how can I still like accomplish massive goals? within, you know, a short period of time, four years was a short period of time. I did all of this while I was in college. I had bought my house when I was 20, 21. So it's like, how can I also like still do that now and have a new motivation? Because fear is not it. Like my kids are in, all of my kids are now in private school, except for my baby boy who stays home with me. I get to stay home with him. Um, I work for myself now. I have a lot of freedom. And sometimes you abuse that freedom as an entrepreneur where it's like, oh, I'm just chilling. When's the next client coming? All right, I'm going to take a nap. Like, right, right. <laughs> So instead, like, keep advancing. So I'm definitely in composition with myself, but also trying to find that new fuel because it's like I can't be fooled the way that I was at 18, 19, 20, 21. So now how do I fuel myself? How do you recognize that? Like, how does somebody recognize when they need to reevaluate their motivations? Like, in your case, where you're having successes and, and you're reaching your goals, how does somebody know that they need to reevaluate their motivations before it gets to the point where they're, you know, just overly complacent and just kind of going through motions? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm someone that constantly, uh, I'm really big on personal gr- growth. So at the core, that's just like a fundamental um, thing that's important to me. It's personal growth. So I'm always looking to better myself. I'm always looking to be better than I was yesterday. And so it just takes doing self-examination, um, looking at you, looking at what you're doing. Like I started saying, I'm like, I haven't accomplished anything in the last year or two. What's up with that? Like, why haven't you accomplished anything? You said you would have had these rental properties by now. Why is that not happening? And also taking accountability instead of blaming others. Um, Sometimes we have a toxic trait. And when I say sometimes we, I mean me, uh, have a a toxic trait of trying to blame others around you when you're not doing something. So um, at first I started blaming my husband, like you're the reason why I'm not doing this, that, and the third. But then it's like, no, I'm the reason why I'm not doing anything because I've got comfy with this. Like I've gotten comfy with just like chilling. And I need to fix that within me. So um, I'm always in therapy. I love therapy. It keeps me sane. Um, It keeps me grounded. It keeps me aware. Uh, I'm always open to how can I improve and be better? I'm always even asking my kids, how can I be a better mama? Uh, Is there anything I've done? Anything that you think mommy needs to change? Um, So I'm always about personal growth. So I think that just having that accountability and saying, hey, look, where I am right now in life is my fault. It's up to me to change it. And what am I going to do different? And then actually doing it. Um, I've been putting on workout clothes for like the past week and I still have not worked out, but I put them on (laughs) so that at least I wouldn't have that excuse not to. So, I mean, you know, uh, sometimes you just have to like figure out what works for you. And it's just trial and error and keep trying. So now instead of me uh, trying to fool myself, like I'm going to work out first day in the day, 
I'm going to try and see what it happens at night. Like, can I just submit to doing it at night instead of pretending I'm going to do it first thing in the morning and put it on workout clothes? Because obviously it wasn't a good enough trigger. And no. I have exercise equipment in my house. So there's no excuses. Yeah. <laughs> there's no excuses at all. Yeah, I I started working out again about a year ago. And I'm not the most consistent with it or anything, but it kind of touches on on how you were talking about wealth earlier, I I kind of always had this thought in my head, like once I have enough money where I can have a home, a home gym, then I'll start working out. And I'm, I just started thinking about that. I'm like, you know, no, if I, if I don't do it now, if I don't put forth the effort right now, then I'm not going to then. So I need to start just doing it now, getting in the habit and and sometimes like that literally means me going to the gym and doing a really light workout and like half-assing it and then just leaving after five or 10 minutes. So I'm like, I went, I went, <laughs> I did that part. <laughs> so, yeah. I very much like that. Um, with generational wealth, why is generational wealth important? So generational wealth is important because I mean, it it allows you to have that impact. If you have generational wealth, not only will you be taking care of your current family, yourself, your children, you're thinking about your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-great-great-great-grands. Like, you know, and if I can impact multiple bloodlines of my own, I also have the funds to impact a lot of my community. And my community can change. It can be my local community, and then it branches out to being the community in my state, the community in my nation, the community in other countries. So you get to be able to have a global impact. You can have um, a different kind of legacy. A lot of people pass away and we don't know about them the next day. Like they, they didn't make any rumbles while they were here. And so, you know, the only people that miss them are those that were close to them. And hopefully they were good to the people close to them because some people, they just leave with not anyone caring in the world, with like one or two people at the funeral. That's not an impact. Yeah. That's not legacy. And so when you have this abundance of wealth, you also have a great responsibility, I believe. Um, my first responsibility is my family, the people that God entrusted me with. So that's going to be my children and anyone else after them, all of my descendants. I want to make sure that they have more than enough. Uh, those people like Bill Gates and um, Warren Buffett that want to pledge 90% plus to charity, that's their calling, not mine. Let me tell you, if I become the richest woman in the world, 90% of my wealth is going to my kids. Um, it's, 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 going to, it's going into a trust. It's going to be able to change the lives of those to my descendants. Yeah. I just want to take away that struggle from them. Um, I just That's so important to me. Generational wealth is so important to me. But then I also want to be able to impact where we can create schools in Africa and make sure that they have health products. Like the fact that there's... what girls and women that don't even have access to sanitary pads and tampons and things like that. That's an issue. And not just giving them the ones with the chemicals in it that we don't want to use, but actually getting them like really good organic cotton ones so that they don't have to deal with the toxicity and things like that, that even plague people here in America. Like I would be able to have an impact there yeah. and be able to help and help build those schools and go, um, 
and go over there and help in that way. But I'll also be able to help those in my community right now. Like, how can we maybe build tiny homes in each of um, I live in an area, it's called the seven cities. So here in the 757, we have the seven cities. So how can I make tiny houses, communities in all of the seven cities so that people have somewhere to live with dignity and respect and we can end homelessness? Like I've seen that there's been plans in like Colorado. How can I then work with my um, city and state legislature so that we can make that kind of impact here in Virginia, here in the seven cities? Like, how can I do that? So it's like also being a part of bigger solutions, ending homelessness for even my seven cities would be a huge impact. That would be enormous. That would be something that, hey, when I leave a legacy, they're like, hey, that's that chick that made sure we had homes or she was a part of this group that made sure we had homes because it doesn't have to be just me. I'll be definitely partnering with others. But it's like, hey, like she she changed my life as a single mom. She made sure that I had resources and that my kids had tutoring and that I had nice clothes to wear to interviews, even if it was from the waist up because everything's virtual now. Like she made sure that uh, we had a plan so that we could become homeowners. And now I have my first house because of her. Now I'm getting into being an investor, a real estate investor because of her, because she told me, you know, to start with a duplex. Don't just get a single family home. Like, you know, so it's just, like what kind of greater impact can I have not just on my descendants but I do when you end up having millions and billions 10 15 percent 20 percent of your money being given to charity can make a huge difference into a lot of lives and so if I have more than enough money and I have more than enough to already take care I can use 80 for my family and use 20 for the church and my local community my state community my national my global community so yeah yeah um so some people think that government will one day fix things if we give them enough power enough money it seems like you are in disagreement of that you feel like the individuals (laughs) can do more with their money than the governments can um who likes a politician nobody why is it that we should be trusting them to fix everything? Yeah. There are like maybe um let's see, a thousand, only one to two thousand people, I would think. This is a rough estimate are actual politicians. I'm thinking about our house, um, housing committee that's like what five hundred people. There's one president, vice president. Um And then there's a senator for each state, maybe a couple. But I mean, like, in the grand scheme of things, let's say 5,000 or less of the community are politicians. Why do we expect them to have such a great impact on the millions upon millions of people that live here? There's hundreds of millions of people that live here. A tiny fraction of them are politicians. They're not going to get it done on their own. It's impossible. And I don't want to give them any more power than they already have. They have too much. We look at them with their budgets. They're not doing well. They have a lot of debt. So obviously they need me and they need to come take my services because they need to learn how to operate money better. <laughs> because yeah. why are we in so much debt to other countries? We we should be debt free. There's no reason why in America we are the most powerful nation. At least that's what they tell us. We are the most powerful nation in the world. There's no reason for us to be in debt. We should be having wealth out of our eyebrows. Like yeah. majority of the wealthy people come from this 
country. People come here because they see the opportunity to be able to make a difference in their own lives and they want that kind of freedom. When an immigrant gets here, they usually do way better than even a lot of us Americans that are born here because we take advantage of what we have. We look at, we're entitled. And that's the issue. Like, stop being entitled. Get off your high horse. Stop being filled with pride and start helping others. If each of us go ahead and contribute to our local community in any any way that we can, if everyone was given five bucks a month, oh, I think that we can wipe out a whole bunch of stuff. And that's just with every single person doing their part of five bucks a month. Like, not just saying, oh, let me pay my taxes and that's it. Let me go ahead and give extra five bucks. I'm going to go towards homelessness. I'm going to find a way to help a single mom. I'm going to help this. Like, if we all pull together and actually help our local community, it will make such a grand impact. Because, no, a couple thousand people out of the hundreds of millions of people that are in this country are not going to make a difference. Yes, they do make a difference as far as if we get an extra check, like the stimulus checks we got or how much we pay in taxes. But the problem and why we see taxes rising so much and why we're getting to this point where 40 to 50 percent plus of your income can be going to taxes. I'm a CPA. So like I've seen it and I hate how taxes can literally rape people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not OK with me. There is no way that I would ever want 50 percent of my income going towards taxes. Yeah. If I can help it, there's no way. And there's no there's no way to think that I'm working for half of my money to be given away to the government to mishandle and misuse and abuse and to go into more debt. Like I'm not for the government buying more fancy purses and for them, a fancy purse is a nuclear bombs and stuff that doesn't matter. So no, I'm not going to give it to them. I don't think that they need any more power. I think that they need less power. I think that they shouldn't be able to spend their, our money on stupid stuff and that we also need to look at how we can make more of an impact in our own communities. Our communities are our responsibility. And so we need to take more of a collective responsibility towards one another instead of just being selfish and being all about I, 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 me, me, me. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're good. I, I'm, uh, I don't like taxes at all. I think they're, you know, I think, the way people look at taxes is kind of incorrect because people think that, Oh, well, we need to pay taxes to have roads and stuff like that. But our taxes actually don't go toward those things. Our taxes are just going to pay the interest on the debt that they're constantly taking out from the fed. And it's like, well, I mean, no company, no business can operate the way that the government does with, 20 plus trillion dollars of debt. I don't know the exact number, so maybe it's less than that, but I think it's over 20 trillion at this point. And I would think so. No one, <laughs> no company can operate like that. No, like you can't be in the red year after year after year. Like sometimes a company can start and you'll see this in tech a lot where uh, a company will be in the red for a few years because R and D stuff like that. They're, they're putting a lot of money mm-hmm. in R and D, but it's, because they see profitability in the future. But no mm-hmm. company on earth can sustain like being in the red year after year after year and just be like, yep, everything's fine. So, yeah, no, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. And that's why we're seeing a lot of um, countries are starting to lose faith in us and in, in the dollar. Yeah. 
So like there's something circulating that like soon those that control all the oil, they're going to take it off of the U.S. dollar standard and go elsewhere. And it's like people are freaking out. But look at how our money is being managed. Yeah. It's being mismanaged. It's being managed very poorly. Um, no one is actually we're we're just printing more money to solve an issue instead of actually like getting out of debt and like making sure that we have a good reserves. Our reserves aren't even reserves because we're in so much debt. Like it's, it's ridiculous at this point. So yeah, I think that there needs to be a lot of changes to happen if we plan to stay the most powerful nation in the world, because I think that title is getting a little shaky. Yeah, I agree. Definitely getting a little shaky. Well, and you mentioned the, the low number of politicians. And I think when you look at your like local government, like your city, um, stuff like that, your politicians at least have some connection to the people that they're representing. But when you look at federal government, you know, you have 537 members of the house and and Mm -hmm. 100 members of the Senate. Those people are so far removed from the people that they're actually serving that there's just a huge disconnect and and don't get me wrong, we have some corruption in our country too. That's a big problem. But mm-hmm. those people are so far removed from the the people that they're supposed to be serving that there's just a huge disconnect and things don't get done that the way that they should. Oh yeah. There is a huge disconnect. Um and so that's another reason why it's like we can't we can't depend on them for everything. And it's also like, when's the last time that we actually held our senators or house of representatives accountable for what they're doing and what they're voting on, on our behalf as the people. Yeah. We live in a democracy, so it should be based off of the values that we have as a people. And I don't think that a lot of things are happening based off of the values we have as a people. Um, I think it's based off of the agendas of a select few. There are a lot of things that I don't think would have got pushed through if it was up to we, the people. But instead, it was up to these senators and House of Representatives or the Supreme Court that are actually elected, um, you know, members of the Supreme Court that are actually making a lot of these decisions. And that's just it shouldn't be a thing. Non people should not be able to make the decisions for a nation. Um, Even when it comes to like like. And I hate getting political, yeah. but like Roe versus Wade, I don't feel like that would have happened. I think majority of people want people to have access to health care. Yeah. I'm not pro-abortion at all, but I am pro my my business and let some other but that person have autonomy over their body because you shouldn't have to disclose to me that you were raped and that this horrible thing happened to you. And that's why you want to get rid of this child. It was already traumatic enough for you to go through it. You shouldn't have to go ahead and then expound to me someone else where it's not any of my business just so that you can get an abortion. You shouldn't have to um, tell me how horrible your living situation is and maybe how you living with abusive uh, parents or something like that. And like, you are scared that you're going to be homeless and you don't want the child to be homeless too for me to then say, Oh, it's okay for you to get an abortion. There's also people that do abuse abortions and use it as birth control. And that should not be a thing. But at the same time, they're going to go get one regardless. So the same way we see these people getting plastic surgery, that's dangerous to their bodies, getting stuff injected everywhere because they weren't able to get it done safely. And now they're dying. People are going to get abortions. Before abortion was legal, they went and got them illegally and they were dying. If I'm really pro-life, then I want that person to live. 
So I want that woman to live, live another day. Like maybe she made a bad mistake. That's between her and Jesus. She can take that to the cross. Like you deal with that on your altar. Like you, you go talk to the God about that, but that's not for me to judge. And I don't want you to die because you're adamant on doing things your own way. Like I said, we're entitled in America. They're going to do what they want to do. It's just whether it's going to be legally or illegally. I'd rather them have the legal option so it's done safely and I can preserve their life and they can learn from their mistakes and live to do better. Yeah. So, and I think that the vast majority of people, that's that's where they probably would have landed. They said, hey, I want you to have good access to health care. Other than I want you to go into a back alley, get this done with unsanitary things and then come out dying or septic and not wanting to go to a hospital to get actual help afterwards, because now you're scared you're going to go to jail for already getting this illegal abortion. And, you know, like I, I think the vast majority, if they actually listened and got educated on what happens when we ban abortions, would have chosen to, hey, look, if I'm actually pro life then I'm going to also preserve your life. And then I'm going to mind my business because it has nothing to do with me <laughs> at all. So I, yeah, I, I don't think that those select few should have as much power as they actually do. If yeah. we're a true democracy, then the majority rules. And I think the majority would make common sense rules. Yeah. And you touched on this a little bit, but um, are there are some, big financial players who have a lot of sway over our political system too. And yeah. this, it almost makes it seem like to have Bill Gates kind of money, to have, to actually reach those levels of wealth, you have to corrupt the system with your interests, you know, like you have, to, um, there are a lot of, major big corporations things like that and they will lobby for laws that benefit them and often this is Mm -hmm. to the detriment of small businesses and stuff like that so can you build major wealth great wealth without doing that yeah i think so i mean they chose to you know lobby and things like that there's a lot of good you can do with money and there's a lot of evil. Yeah. There's always two sides to a coin, right? So just because you have a ton of wealth does not mean that you're corrupt or you're doing anything evil. Um, just because you're a billionaire doesn't mean that you're doing anything evil yeah. or wrong. Um, I think that there are great people that are rich and wealthy and billionaires. And I think that there are evil people that are rich and wealthy and billionaires, just like there are Horrible poor people and great poor people, you know, Um, every poor person is not breaking and entering your home is not robbing you, shooting you, killing you. Um, But also every poor person is not a saint going to church and lifting you up in Holy Spirit and, you know, giving you the shirt off of their back either. So um, I think there's two sides to every coin because people are people. And I think that when you have such wealth, you can definitely use it for evil. But I think that there are also people that are doing it for good. I have no idea what Bill Gates, Warren Buffett does with their money, except for what they tell me and what maybe sometimes society may find out about if they do some really deep, good journalism or, you know, research and digging and things like that. Excuse me. But um, 
So I can't say that they're necessarily using their money for evil. I know that big corporations for a fact are behind a lot of the laws and legislations we have. It's like more so you have to vote with money instead of voting by being an individual. Um, So I think that, yeah, we're a democracy. The biggest dollar wins. Whoever has the most money wins, <laughs> like uh, because they're going to push forth enough people and you know corrupt politicians and give them money and like I'm going to support your campaign and support you if you get behind this thing that I want you to do. So I definitely see where it can be used for evil, big pharma, things like that. But I also think that there are pretty great wholesome rich people too, and so I think that. On the outside, sometimes we judge them because we're not there. We're not in their shoes. We don't know how they're living. Um, the man that had owned all the Little Caesars, um, I don't know, remember his name. I'm pretty sure he was very wealthy. He paid for Rosa Parks' apartment until she died. Mm. That was something that he did in secret that no one knew of, and it didn't come out until somebody said it about him after he died. Um, because he was not, a lot of their philanthropy is not out in the open. Because, and also, I don't think it should be. Because when you're doing a good thing, you should just be doing it from your heart. It's not to be on social media and be like, look at me with this camera and the homeless person's face that I'm giving money to. Like, that is just so <laughs> disgusting to me. Like, that doesn't have any class. Like, you're taking away that person's dignity. Yeah, so, exploiting them, really. Yeah, they really are. And so that's not okay either. So I think that just because they have a lot of money and we hear about big corporations doing horrible things with money, that doesn't mean that, you know, did we hear about Microsoft doing it? Like, you know, so, and also let's check the fact that Bill Gates no longer even owns a majority share of Microsoft and he doesn't run it. He's not the CEO anymore. So what Microsoft does, he really has no control over anymore. Like we see him as, oh, Microsoft is Bill Gates. Not so much anymore. Like Bill Gates is chilling um, or he's into other endeavors. Like the same way we look at Amazon as Jeff Bezos, but he doesn't own a majority interest, I think, in um, Amazon anymore. He's no longer the CEO. He stepped down. Like he's more into, you know, the space stuff that he's doing or whatever the case may be. So we also have to check and see, like, who is it actually behind a lot of the evil things and the corruption and making sure that we're pointing the finger at the right person. Could they be behind it? Oh yeah. They got enough money to definitely be behind some trash. Um, not going to be surprised if something comes out saying that they do, but I'm not going to automatically presume them to be guilty of evil unless I know for a fact that they are. So, um, and that's a problem. Like we always presume guilt before we presume like, you know, people are not guilty. (laughs) You know, you're supposed to be like innocent until proven guilty. And here it's like, you're guilty until proven innocent more so. And like, that's not cool. So I I definitely don't get mad at rich people just because I don't have their wealth. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it ties into how we started the conversation really too, because Mm -hmm. it's not that the money is evil. It's the love of money being evil. And yeah. And when you see that kind of evil going on with, you know, a major corporation just using their money to rig the system so that they just take in more money, that that is basically a love of money from that corporation. So oh, yeah. It's really the actions oh, that matter. Exactly. And those that are behind those, I'm in full force and agreement. Like, it's corrupt. It's wrong. There needs to be an input to it. They need to be jailed. They need to be in prison. There's no reason why they should be getting off. I think someone has said that there was this one family that are crazy billionaires. I don't even know them because they're really like 
low key, not in the public eye. So you have to have money to even know their name, like kind of thing. Um, But they're behind this pharmaceuticals company and the way that they were pushing it to get opioids and um, out there. Yeah, they killed so many, like thousands of people. They need to be in prison. Like they need to be in prison. If other people have been in prison, if the drug dealer is in prison, they should be in prison too because they were just doing drug dealing on a way bigger scale and under what looked to be legal, but the way that they did it was illegal and it hurt a lot of families. They Instead of them being able to just be chilling and get a fine, no, it's, I don't want your money. It's paper money to you at this point. It's just yeah. a little tool. It's like you lost a hammer. That, that doesn't hurt you. These families have lost their loved one. Yeah. Like you should be in prison, not jail, prison. <laughs> like you need serious time for what you did. And so um, that just goes back to people respecting the dollar more than actual human lives and just like, hey, it's the biggest dollar wins instead of um, actually being out for humanity. I think if we changed our standards and kind of more so had a standard of how happy are our people, how healthy are our people, how long are our people living, like looking at mortality rates and happiness and overall wellness and making that the goal instead of how much our GDP per capita and, you know, how much money we're making, I think that we would see a lot of change. So. Yeah, I forget what the family's last name is. I know it starts with an S. Um, I, I want to say Sackler or something like that, but I, I don't think that's it. Um, but yeah, yeah they, I'm not the, sure. <laughs> the fine that they paid in the end was such a small amount of the wealth or the money that they made from basically mm-hmm. killing people, destroying lives, yeah. like destroying lives. Yeah. So very yeah. sad. Um, with generational wealth, There is a common occurrence in families that have money and pass on the wealth to their, to their children, at least if it's unregulated by the family, not by government. But if it's, if it's done, I guess, recklessly, that generational wealth can just be just wiped away within a few generations. How do you pass on your generational wealth and do it in a way that your that, that your family knows how to manage that wealth themselves too so that you're not just passing it along to somebody who is eventually just going to blow it on on useless things and not continue building that wealth and maintaining it so that's big um and I think that's twofold. One, um, raise good people, raise good humans and tell, teach them how to raise good humans. Because you could say that, oh, I'm going to control them from <laughs> my grave. And that's not truly, um, that's not realistic. If you really made some smart human beings, then they're going to find a way around all of your legalities. Like you can set up a trust all you want to. You can put all these parameters around it. If they're determined to do wrong and do evil, they will find a way and they will find a way to wipe it out. So I think it's important to raise good human beings um, and then teach them how to be good stewards over money. Like I said, I want majority of my wealth to go to my family because they're my first responsibility. And um, I want them to also see that, hey, look, my family is my first responsibility, too, um, and also be raised off great morals and values, 
I always make time for my kids. I always talk to my children. I always, um, that's why I said, like, I asked them, how can I be a better mommy? How can I do things better for you? Um, I keep that open communication because I want to raise human beings that are able to articulate their feelings, that know that it's okay to not be okay, that we can be clear about our emotions. We can talk it out. I'm an advocate for therapy. You need it. You go get it. If you want mommy to get it for you, I'll get it. Like whatever the case may be, I'm really big on making sure that, um, how I also walk my life where our, our children's first role models. So I'm also really big on seeing like, how is it that I'm role modeling for them? What is it that I'm teaching them is okay? What is it that I'm showing them is the way to go about things? So I think that the example I said is important too. And so me having that accountability. So if my children see me as someone that always was trying to do her best, always trying to improve and do better, always wanted to be a good person and most importantly, kept God first and was really big on chasing after his heart and being someone that he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant to at the end of her lifetime. Then how do I also replicate that? How do I be a great and generous person? I'm not selfish. Like I, I want to give, I'm just not, I'm just going to give majority to my family, but I'm also going to give an impact millions in my lifetime. If I have anything to say about it. So it's like them seeing that and hopefully wanting to model that in their own way. So whether they want to be a fashion designer, a model, a doctor, an astronaut, a teacher, they say, how can I make a big impact on my community? How can I love people? If my children squander money, I want them to squander it by giving away too much. I don't want it to be because they were doing evil things or that they decided that I'm going to control the government from, <laughs> you know, behind the scenes with lobbyists. I want them to say, hey, I'm a good person. And it just hurt my heart too much to see somebody struggling through this. And I ended up choosing to give away the money um, just by trying to solve this problem. I want them to have just a big heart so that if it's squandered, it's squandered on a good thing. Yeah. But I pray that um, they learn from me and that I'm constantly teaching them about money. We have conversations about money. I'm talking to my 10 year old about investing and getting her brokerage account set up. I'm showing her how that she can own a part of Disney because that's what excites her right now. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm that. meeting them on their level and talking to them about finances. So it's like, Finances is not something that's taboo in my house. It's something that we definitely talk about. They have an allowance. I teach them how to manage a little. You have 10 bucks. How much is your tithe? Make sure you pay that. Um, you just got $20 from your grandpa. Okay, how much is your tithe? Make sure you pay that. You see a homeless person. They're always like, hey, mommy or daddy, can you um, give to the homeless person? I might be like, I'm out of cash. My 10-year-old has given $20. Hmm. Or we've actually had it where we were giving 20 or 30 bucks. And then she was like, mommy, I want to give 22 and it's like, for her, that's like almost all of her money. Yeah. Like, she may have had 30 bucks. Um, she may have had 20 bucks, but she was like, he needs it more than me. I want to give that to him. So my seven-year-old is always asking, can we help that person? And we're a blended family. So even when he goes to his other household, he's like, can you help that person? And sometimes they're like, we ain't got it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they tell me. They always say, like, we ain't got it. But they see that here. So they want to model it everywhere. So I think it's just about raising good human beings with great values and morals, because that's the only thing that's going to stand the test of time. And if I raise good human beings with great values and morals, then that's that's the tradition that's going to be passed down. The same way we have toxic traits being passed down of, oh, my dad was an alcoholic, so I was an alcoholic, and now my son is an alcoholic. There's also a good trait of my mom was generous and loving. 
my parents are generous and loving. I'm generous and loving. My children are generous and loving. And so are my grandchildren. So that could be, we can pass down positive traits the same way we can pass down toxic traits, which is also why I'm big on personal growth, because I don't want anything that's toxic within me to pass down to future generations. Whatever I don't address will just transfer on. And I don't want, I don't want them to have to battle things because I didn't choose to deal with it then. So um, there's things that I have to battle because it was like, this is what I was shown in my household. Yeah. And it was not necessarily a good trait. So now I address it in my household and I'm breaking that generational curse where it's like, we don't have that issue here in this household because I addressed it and I uprooted it and I made sure to replace it with something good. And so I hope that, you know, I will never be perfect, but I'm always going towards progression and being a better person. And I want my children to be the same, that they're always progressing looking at how they can be better and they never lose having a great big heart. Yeah. And I tell them that I like, don't lose your heart. Like that heart that you have, I understand somebody might be trying to take advantage of it at school with like little mean things. Don't you lose that. Like that's special about you, baby. Other people have to fight to have the kind of heart you have. Don't lose that. So I think that's the biggest thing informing them. Yes. But I think it's deeper. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you inform them and teach them how to manage money. If they, if they're a brat, you know, little brats turn up to be like adult jack behinds that no one wants to deal with and become worse. So um, I think that also making sure they're a good person. I think that makes all the difference. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that completely. And the way that you approach personal growth seems really important to you because I think personal growth is a combination of being humble and being able to like look inwardly and seeing what's not where you want it to be and, and still staying motivated, you know, cause some people can look at, you know, like I'm failing here, I'm failing here. I'm not what I want to be here. And that could just be defeating, but also having that confidence to, to say, I can be better. I can do this better. I can, you know, I can teach my kids better than what I was taught or, you know, and yeah. not to say our parents didn't do a good job because Parents, no. parents, all, all parents are always trying to do their best, but everyone has little flaws and little things that they, you know, that they learned from their parents and then were passed down and yes. we can always improve upon things. So I think that's very important to be personal growth. That mindset is just so important. So, and I think definitely is with what you're, the way that you're approaching things, it, it seems like you're going to avoid that that nasty pitfall that can come with the wealth too is sometimes when people die and they have wealth, they can tear families apart because people are, you know, people just see the dollar signs and they want to get what they think they have coming or whatever like that. So instilling that healthy mindset and instilling that just teaching your kids to be good people is going to hopefully prevent anything like that from happening. I hope so. And then also just properly having everything um, set up. So I've had a will for a few years now. Yeah. Um, and it's not because I'm richity rich rich or anything. It's just because I have children and it's important to um, make sure they're taken care of in my absence. But what I've come to find out is that actually a will does not avoid probate. So just because you have a will, a majority of states, you're... Um, you would, you still have to go through probate. And so um, that's where, you know, 
like 30% plus of your assets or your wealth uh, that you're trying to pass down gets taken away in taxes and, um, you know, and it's, you know, an estate trustee or whoever, like it gets all taken from a bunch of minutia and administrative stuff. And so the point of having the will was to avoid that. And now I'm finding that I have to have a trust instead. A trust is ironclad. There's no disputing it. There's no going to court against your brother and sister and saying, no, mommy wanted me to have more. I did not. (laughs) Like I did not. And so uh, it's, in a trust now. And so you have what you have. You have exactly what you're supposed to have. Uh, so I think that um, being able to have a trust set up, that's ironclad. And that can avoid a whole lot of issues because you can go pout at your own house, but you don't get to argue with anyone else about it. And I'll be danged if you come at someone and tell someone like, oh, I want more of your portion. Like, that's not OK. Yeah. So and I also I don't want this conversation to just be had after death. Like. I'm, I'm a very upfront person. So, and I also communicate well with my kids. So it'll be something where we'll be talking to them about, this is how we want our money allocated. This is how much is coming to you. This is how much is coming to you and our death. You're going to get, you know, 25%, 25%, 25%, or you're all going to get 20%, 20%, 20%. Like, you know, it's being split evenly between the five of you or, I'm leaving this real estate to you. I'm leaving this stock accounts to you. But the way it's supposed to be broken down, you all get even equal money or whatever the case may be. But it'll be a conversation. Yeah. And also, if I see a kid like that's really screwed up and that like they're going down a completely detrimental path, like because sometimes that just happens in families. Right now, all my kids are perfect angels. There's nothing wrong with them. Nothing ever will be. But, you yeah. know, if that ever changes and they... You know, if I have a child that struggles with addictions or something like that, I'm probably not leaving you anything. Yeah, I'm probably not leaving you anything because I'm not going to let you squander. It. I'm not going to help you die. No. Like, I'm not going to do that. So um, and I'm doing that out of love. And that will be known. It's like, no, you're not going to court about this. It's, it's in a trust and that'll be known. And you and we would all had a family conversation and I will make sure it's set up properly so that people know my intent and what it is that I wanted it to be. So I think it's just about setting things up properly, having those conversations. If my kids want to fuss it out or argue or respectfully um, come voice their opinion to me because I teach them to be respectful and then talk to me about things, we can debate, we can talk about things, we can agree to disagree. Do that with me while I'm living. Yeah. Don't wait until I'm dead and then argue with your siblings. Like, y'all are all you have. Like, you have to stay tight-knit. Don't let money get between your relationship. So with a, did you say with a trust, you don't have to deal with the probate, the, the losing 30%? Correct. Oh, interesting. Is there- Yeah, with a trust. I don't know much about a trust. Is a trust a, just a bank account or is it, uh, can it be anything? So a trust is something that you need to go to an estate lawyer and get set up. I've seen that there are other people that are setting them up that are not lawyers. So I'm not versed in that. Um, I'm a CPA and there may be CPAs that can set up trust. I'm not one of them because I don't fully understand trust enough to be giving any kind of professional advice on them right now. All I'm saying is that from my mere knowledge is that um, in the state of Virginia and also in the state of North Carolina, because I was looking it up for my grandparents, is that a will goes through probate, Hmm. a trust do not, does not. And so I think that across the nation, trusts do not go through probate. Depending on state, depends on if your will goes through probate or not. But I think majority of states, wills actually go through probate. And so with probate, 
a large percentage of your um, money can be taken. And that percentage may vary per state as well. So, you know, we got to give disclaimers or whatever the case may be. Research for yourself. Go talk to an estate attorney yeah. to find out. But a trust is ironclad. And so it basically is saying that instead of giving your money away to people, you give your money and all your assets to a trust. You write that, hey, on, upon my death. So when you do your payable upon death or um, PODs and things like that on your um on your deeds and your bank accounts and things like that, then you put it to the trust. You leave everything to the trust and um, you set up the trust in your living. There's trusts that are revocable and irrevocable and there's living trust and there's trusts that um, form upon your death. Mm. So it's several different ways that you can set it up and it costs a lot of money because it can get so complicated. Yeah. So it's definitely um, everyone probably will end up needing one, but it's not, but we usually think about rich people needing it because they're the ones that can afford to pay for it. Yeah. Um, and I would think that something so important, such as your legacy, you should set it up properly. That doesn't mean go with the most expensive person, but definitely go with a very knowledgeable person, such as a lawyer, um, to get it set up properly. Yeah. Um, and that it, and an estate lawyer at that, because they, they specialize in that. So I would say to definitely get that set up if you have any assets to leave. I started, I didn't even get a will until after I had a home. And um, I think that a lot of us don't even like thinking about death. And so it's like, oh, if I get a will, I'm going to die. Well, I've had a will for several years now. I'm still alive. So it's like, no, I'm not, you're yeah. not going to die from getting a will or for just doing estate planning early on. Um, but definitely something that I will be getting set up within the next five to 10 years will be a trust, um, not just a will. I'll still keep revising my will because it's better to have something than nothing as far as saying how I want my money to be allocated. I think that's it's better to have a will than nothing at all. But um, and that's very much you can do that low cost next to free. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, if you get legal shield or legal resources through your job or, you know, pay 10, 20, 40 bucks a month or whatever for it on your own you can then um, usually get a will done at no additional costs every single year um, with your attorney. That's how I set up my first will. Okay. And so um, I think it's great to outline that, but then with a the trust, making sure that it's ironclad so that there won't be any issue. So once I start having a ton of real estate to manage and a real estate portfolio and a ton more assets, then I'm definitely going to make sure that I have it all in a trust to avoid that probate because I'd rather pay a few thousand bucks to get the trust set up properly than for hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to end up being washed away through useless taxes and um, other other items that can happen. And also with like a trust, you can delay taxes until the trust is dissolved. Yeah. And so you can set it up so that the trust never dissolves. So yeah. you never pay taxes on the money and all of the wealth stays in your family. So, I mean, there's definitely different ways to look into it. And I would definitely be looking in um, doing a trust when I'm talking about generational wealth. Awesome. You got to protect that wealth. Awesome. Yeah, that was very insightful. Thank you. Um, yeah. If it's okay with you, I think it'd be cool to have you kind of give some general advice to people based on where they are in life. So what would your advice be for somebody who's 18, 20 years old? Maybe they're looking at college. They don't have a career in mind, but they know they want to be wealthy. They know they want to pass on their wealth to their children. 
what would you mm-hmm. advise somebody in that at that age how to how to look at the future in a way that sets them up for success so um i would say that when it comes to someone that is really young i would say the first things first is just start with good habits so for that person that doesn't know what they want to do yet but they just know that they want to be wealthy start with good habits look at how is your money being spent look at how you can maybe make it so that you don't actually exceed your living costs in the meantime but increase your income and increase your savings and your investing compound interest is so amazing and so if i'm talking to someone 18 to 20 that's my younger siblings like um those are my babies so i would definitely like i definitely try and talk to them already and i give them books and stuff on money that I don't think that they read, but that's what I'm giving away for Christmas now is knowledge. (laughs) So, um, but I think that they should start saving and really save like 50% or more of their money because you don't have any kids. You don't have any responsibilities. You're living with mom. Like you don't have any bills really. Like you may have a car note or you may have like car insurance and like a cell phone bill. Like it's so small and like usually you blow your money at that age and make a lot of stupid decisions. Yeah. Don't make stupid decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, save, 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 invest, 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 put money into a retirement account. Even though they don't have to offer it to you until you're 21, you can start putting it into a Roth IRA yourself. You can start stacking money away into um, individual retirement accounts on your own, whether it's Roth or traditional. I, I love a Roth. Um Max those accounts out. Once you max those accounts out and you're still not at 50%, get your brokerage account. Put all your money that you can in there um, and save it and invest it well in low-cost index funds. That way you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to be looking into real estate. But then make sure that you're also saving. Save for a house. And for your first home, get a multifamily home. Get a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. You can still get a fourplex as an FHA loan and put 5% down. Um, so it used to be the three and a half. Now it's up to 5%, but get that fourplex, put 5% down that you save when you're like 22, you know, live in one unit, rent out the other three cash flow, like crazy. Don't have a mortgage at all because all of your tenants is paying the mortgage. And hopefully you still have a little bit left to have fun with. And just like continue on that process. Maybe every two years, get another, um, multiplex or something until you have a family, that would set them up for crazy generational wealth just by doing those things. If you're maxing out your Roths and retirement accounts at such a young age, if you're getting real estate like investment properties at a young age like that, I wish I would have got me a duplex or fourplex instead of a three bedroom home. And I had a six figure profit when I sold my house a couple years ago. But I wish I would have instead gotten a duplex to fourplex like so i would just say like invest 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 save 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 and you can live off of 50 percent because you don't have any bills like (laughs) you don't have any responsibilities yet so like invest in your future your future self will love you and hug you so tight awesome um all right what would your advice be for maybe someone who's around 30 years old maybe they haven't been great with their finances. They have a few thousand dollars in credit card debt, hopefully not too much at that age. Um, But they want to get their life on track. They want to build that wealth. They want to be in a better situation in 10, 20 years. 
So for someone with that is 30 and has maybe a little bit of debt, but doesn't own any assets yet, then I would be really big on changing how many assets they have. And so if it's only a little bit of debt, then just make sure it stays in good standing and start saving. Make sure you have an emergency fund and then start looking at what can you invest in. Maybe it's going to be in your first home. And it depends on if this person 30 has children or not. Um, I'm a mama of four <laughs> and um, I have not hit 30 yet. And so with that, like, you know, but my husband, he's in his thirties. And so with that, like our situation looks a lot different um, with four kids, uh, us moving into one unit of a fourplex would be rough. Tried to sell them on it. No one's sold yet. <laughs> so we're, we're in the big single family home instead right now. So um, that depends too. So first it's going to be housing. I think that it's big to stabilize housing. There's a lot of people saying you don't need to own a home. Um, and that's a load of garbage. Okay. I understand that it's not for everyone. However, real estate is the one for sure way to build generational wealth because God isn't making any more land. People are constantly looking, are always going to need somewhere to live. And yeah. so there are people that, yeah, they can look at the pandemic, which is like, hopefully we don't have a ton of pandemics happening in our lifetime. I think this is the one for our lifetime. That's it. Praise the Lord. Hope so. Like, so that's like an anomaly, but there are people that definitely still got paid from real estate and that had good tenants that were paying their rent during that time. There was a lot of assistance given that um, renters could have used to then pay their landlord. So just don't be a slumlord and maybe your people will want to actually pay you in good times and bad and make sure that their housing is secure. So um, I would just say like, really get in real estate. And even if you don't want to be a landlord, then at least have your one home that you can pass down to the next generation. Um, but it's not fun having four kids. In my case, we plan to end up having five at the end of this. <laughs> and if I only have one house to leave them, this is a four bedroom house. It's not even yeah. a room for everyone, let alone they be grown and have their own kids. Like this is not the house that everyone's going to be able to split. Like one person may live in it, maybe two. Um, and they're both late bloomers without families. And then the other two are like, hey, I'm getting screwed over right here. I don't get anything out of it. Y'all get to live there rent free. But what do I get from it? Like it's not fun to just leave one house to all of your descendants. So um but it's, at least it's better than nothing because, hey, if if they are hard off or they don't have anywhere to go, it would be nice for them to only have to pay a couple thousand dollars each year in taxes than for them to have to pay multiple thousands of dollars for a roof over their head because you left them a paid off home. So, you know, as of right now, all of my kids can move back in this at 30 and, and not have to pay mortgage and each get a room. But, you know, once we hit five, somebody's going to have to have a bunk bed and they're grown. Uh, but it gives stability. It's the one thing that we can stabilize where it comes to your mortgage. Maybe if taxes go up or insurance goes up, then you may see um, your housing expense increase by a couple hundred bucks a year. Like usually it's like maybe anywhere from a six to 30, $50, maybe even a hundred dollar difference each month in your mortgage, depending on how big your house is. Um, yeah. So that plays a factor, but you're not going to see housing, your mortgage increase like rent does. Rent increases have like gone astronomical also because of the pandemic. And one thing that rent does not do is go back down. Yeah. <laughs> like 
once rent goes up, if it used to be $600 a month, and we've actually seen this where, hey, you could get a place for 600 bucks a month. Now you're not going to find a place for less than a thousand bucks. And in certain cities, you're not going to find anywhere to rent for less than 1500 to $2,000 a month. And that's in Virginia Beach. Um, yeah. We're a very like mid cost of living, mid to low cost of living area. So with Virginia Beach being kind of our fancy city um, and Norfolk, Portsmouth, Newport News, Hampton being one of those places where you can still maybe find something for the 800 range. So, um, but like in Virginia Beach, housing more than double. So mm. you're not going to see that happen with your mortgage. Your mortgage is your mortgage is fixed for 15 to 30 years and then it goes away. Um, mm. You can't say that about rent. You're going to have to pay it until you die if that's your... Um, if that's what you decide to do. So I would say stabilize your housing costs because you can get a mortgage payment. You have equity. So then you also have the opportunity to take money out, even if it's risky, but you can take it out and you can use it to invest in yourself and your business and other things um, and other real estate property. So that gives you that option. Um, housing just gives you a lot of opportunities. I like to say that there is no other way that I would have got a six figure check. So even though I feel like I did wrong by not getting a multiplex starting off and getting a single family home, getting that single family home, I paid 600 bucks a month for my mortgage. Um, my mortgage was less than what rent was. And I had a three bedroom, one and a half bath house. And then I sold it about five years later and I got more than a six figure profit. There was no stock that I could have intelligently chose at the age of 2021 and put into. And within five years, I would have got a six figure return, nor did I have an extra $600 to give (laughs) every single month into a stock or brokerage account as a single mom. I didn't have it. So, but I did have to pay for housing. And so why not pay for housing that I own? It allowed me to control that asset of that house. And because I was in control of it, because I was the owner of it, I was then able to sell it. The mortgage got paid off. I bought the house for like $80,000, $85,000. The mortgage got paid off. And I walked away with over $100,000 in my bank account to do whatever I wanted to do with. A lot of it went into the next house. And then, you know, but a lot of it also, it also got me out of debt. We paid off all of our cars. We paid off. Um, we did not pay off student loans because we were expecting those to get paid off themselves. But I think the only thing we had to pay off was our cars and then paid off um, the credit card that we used to um, remodel the house. So we maybe did like $10,000 in remodeling and we put that all yeah. on a credit card. And then when we sold, we got $10,000 to pay off. The, we got way more than 10 grand, but we used 10000 to pay off that debt from the remodel, and then we used the remaining money to pay off the little bit that was left on our two vehicles, and we were officially debt-free. We only had, except for them student loans, we planned to have the government pay off. That did not work. This is why we don't depend on government, (laughs) because they don't always do what they say they're going to do, and then they get something that says it's going to go through, and then there's other like judicial mess that can get in the way of it. So yeah, I mean, it, it allowed a lot of opportunities for my family. So I'm really big on telling that person. I'm always big on real estate ownership, even if it's just your own home to stabilize your um, your housing costs and to allow you to control an asset that then allows you to do so much more and come from a different yeah. place of flexibility. Like it, it takes a long process for someone to kick you out of a house you own. 
foreclosures yeah. take years. Uh, short, um, what is it? Short, uh, short term, um, short sales. They short take sales. years sometimes yeah. for when you're behind on payments. Rent? You missed that rent payment? It takes 30 to 90 days. <laughs> like yeah. you're getting out of there. It used to take 30 days or less. But now with uh, the pandemic, like you may get 60 to 90, but you're getting out within one to three months. Like you're yeah. going to be out on your butt. That doesn't happen with the house. You have years to still like figure your life out and hopefully get back on top of your payments and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's no no other kind of security or stability out there like it. So I would just encourage that person to start increasing their assets first with the house and then with just maxing out retirement accounts, maxing out, um, making sure they have an emergency fund and maxing out any additional saving that they can do. I would say that, you know, if they can't live off 50%, then live off of 70 um, and work towards living off 50%. And so you don't work towards that by just decreasing all your expenses but you maybe increase your income and don't let your expenses increase with it, with that keeping up with the Joneses. So it's like, hey, look, I only make 60 grand a month, a year, sis. Like, I'm not about to put half away in savings. I understand that completely. But how about if you take 30% of that? So, you know, 20,000 of that, and you're investing towards maxing out of your retirement accounts and making sure you have a good emergency fund and making sure that you're saving for your next house. And then when yeah. your income increases to 70, 80, $100,000, your in- expenses stay at that 40 grand for a while so that you can then continue to invest and save and build up your assets in your portfolio so that you can retire with dignity and you can be on the track to retire early within five to 10 years if you want to, or have the option to. I'm all about freedom and options. So- yeah. You don't have to pull the trigger on it just because you're in the financial position to do so. But, ooh, does it feel good to be able to say, hey, look, I want this time off. And if my boss says no, I'm going anyway. And if you fire me, so what? Like, you know, like we usually give up when we're adults. We're like, oh, I want to be free. I can't wait to do whatever I want to do. And then we get a boss. Like we go from having parents to having a boss and not being able to do what we want to do. So instead having that place of freedom. Yeah. I, uh, I would agree with you on the house. I've seen, I've seen, uh, people, writers on wealth and stuff like that. Some will actually say, Oh, buying a house isn't all it's cracked up to be, but I disagree. I bought a house when I was around 30 and, my finances improved significantly over the years because of that. Like I didn't have much savings before I bought a house. And then after I bought a house, I was like, I'm not losing this house. I am not going to lose my house. I've seen that happen to people. And uh, so I put extra money every month toward principal to make sure that I, because when I bought, I was worried that prices were just going to tank right after. And I think that's a common fear with people when they buy a house. Like, what if the market tanks 20% and I put 5% down and then I'm 15% of the value of my home is money I can't recoup, you know? But I, I think it creates stability. It gives you something to like strive to hold on to. Um, yeah. And I really do. I agree with everything you said with regards yeah. to house. Um, and I'll even say to that, like the people that are worried that what if it tanks 20%? Well, 
does the value really matter to you at that point? You own the house. Like, yeah, yeah it sucks that you probably could have bought it for less, but for you to be able to even qualify for the house, that means you have the income to sustain your payments. Yeah. You're not looking at a balloon that's coming um, due that you're not going to be able to afford. So, I mean, your payments are your payments. As long as your income hasn't changed, <laughs> you know, yeah. as long as your income hasn't decreased 20% or so and, yeah. you know, put you in a tough position, then you should be good to go and still be able to afford your mortgage because you didn't buy it to sell it in a year. Yeah. You bought it to live in for some people buy it for, for the living for forever. Some people yeah. it's like a five to 10 year plan. So, I mean, just have your plan. And then you, even if you bought it so that you can only live in it for two years, rent it out afterwards. Rent isn't going down. So yeah. get someone else to pay that mortgage and hopefully give you a little bit of profit. Um, when you go move into the next house that you plan to go live in, like rent it until it is worth more than what you spent on it. And you can get more money out of it when you sell. Just don't sell yeah. them bad times. Hold on to that asset. With uh, somebody who's about 40 years old, maybe doesn't have a bunch of assets yet, uh, what? how would your advice be different for them? I don't think that the advice would change. I think, but I do think that there needs to be a stronger emphasis on making sure that their retirement is in place. As you're 40, you're getting closer and closer. I mean, the older you get, the closer you are to the years where you may not be able to physically work anymore, depending on your field. And so, um, and I think that's white collar and blue collar. My husband, he's a welder. Um, I don't want him to be a 60 year old welder getting in tight spots and, you know, getting burnt up, like, or what if his eyes start diminishing or something from being exposed to that for so long, or like just those toxic chemicals, you can't be around those, but for so long. So, um, I would definitely say that like, that's not a job that you can do <laughs> 60 yeah. to 70 to 80 years old um, safely. The same for a doctor um, as they're getting older. You probably won't be able to like be the best doctor at 70 or 80 either. Like some jobs you just can't do forever. And there's people that don't plan for retirement and then they see that, oh, I'm going to have to work until I die. And yeah. um I just don't want you to be in that position. So it's like at 40, if you have not looked at your your retirement accounts now, it's like a screaming alarm. You better look at it now yeah. and make sure that you're in position to have enough saves so that if anything hits the fan, and let me tell you, around 40 to 50, everything's going to hit the fan. <laughs> um, so I would say that make sure that your retirement is healthy and that you are significantly putting it in. And if you have put nothing in up until this point, then you better make a way to put 50% of your income towards retirement. It's that yeah. serious because I don't want you to be in a position where, hey, look, your mom just died. Your dad just died. You don't know how you're going to take care of them. Maybe you had to take off work to take care of them. Um, children are growing up. They're maybe going to college or maybe like they're in high school and they're going through puberty and stuff and crap is hitting the fan. Your marriage is strained because kids are going through puberty and parents are dying. And it's just like, whoa, what? Whoa, Nelly, like <laughs> calm down yeah. life. So I think that you definitely need to be in position to weather that storm. And so making sure that your retirement is sound is important and definitely having stable housing is important. So I think that both of those things will do you well um, to get into place when you're in your forties, because uh, between like 40 and 60, that's when 
like crap hits the fan. We hear about midlife crisis. It's a midlife crisis because life is like punching them in the face at that age, like between their children, their aging parents and things like that. And you just want to be in position to weather that storm. And that's why it's also important to think about that in your 20s and 30s by setting yourself up properly if you can. But if you're not, but if you know you are already 40 plus, then definitely make sure that you have stabilized housing and that you're really looking hard at retirement. And um, I think it's important for everyone to try and be debt free as much as possible um, with the exception of their home and then work on paying off the house too. Like at the bare minimum, good at retirement, stay out of debt remove any debt that is in your life and make sure that you have stable housing and at least have that one asset, but build as much assets as you can. If you're really hands off and you want just passive invest in low cost index funds for everyone, max out those retirement accounts and then increase it with the brokerage accounts. Like take care of yourself, take care of your future self. Like don't, don't ignore her. Don't ignore him. That's coming in the future. Like you need to go ahead and plan for them. Awesome. Do you have, well, it sounds like you definitely do, um, you recommend some books to your younger siblings. So for any listeners, for for the listeners, what books would you recommend picking up and what books have mattered to you a lot? What books have helped you out learn about finance, learn about wealth, things like that? So A Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. That's one that I did get for my little sister because she's a good saver. So I wanted her to start thinking about investing. Um, Anthony O'Neill has a book about school. Um, I cannot remember, but it's about how to go to school debt-free. So that's the book I got for my um, brother. So a couple years ago, I got each of them like a book. And my hope was that they will all read the books and then maybe they can even like, you know, transform between each other. Like, you should read this one. You should read this one. Like, but you know, I don't think they even read the one that I got them. <laughs> But uh, I still recommend it because, I mean, going to school debt free, I'm always really big with them. I'm like, do not get in a ton of debt going to school. I'm against that. So um, Anthony O'Neill's book about how to go to school debt free. Cannot remember the title of the book, but Anthony O'Neill, great guy, uh, was a part of Dave Ramsey's group. But now he's all on his own solo. I would recommend that one. I'm always going to recommend A Simple Path to Wealth by J.O. Collins. Let me see what other ones I have over here on this bookshelf. I have more books than um, my husband wants to allow. He tells me I need to buy a new bookshelf before I buy more books. <laughs> but I love good books. Um, let's see. Uh, those are personal development books over there. Uh, I think it's a simple walk down Wall Street uh, or a walk down Wall Street. That's a good one on investing. Maybe a little too heavy for some people, but that's okay. Um just really anything that's going to help you improve. Uh, I would always recommend, Oh, rich dad, poor dad. That one I can't get away without saying by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, that's a really great book. It also, um, makes you rethink what an asset and a liability is. And as an accountant, um, that means a lot because that's all we deal with. So like what I put as an asset and a liability on a financial statement and how he views it was completely different. And I can't really argue with him on that. And that's why uh, some people say that, oh, well, your house is not an asset. It's a liability. It's a liability that I would prefer to have because it can become an asset at any point that I need it to. So 
Um, that's a really great book. And this one book by him, Cashflow Quadrant, also by Robert Kiyosaki. Amazing game changer. Um, this woman, I actually uh, was doing her taxes when I was working for my old firm. And so she went from making like 50,000, her and her husband combined were like at 100K um, for the year. And uh, she was a teacher, like just regular people, regular jobs, right? And then when I was doing their taxes, it was a half a million dollars. And so as a tax CPA, I look at the prior year to see if we're missing anything in the current year. And I see how, ma'am, you just 5X your income in a year. What the heck happened? She was like, she read cash flow quadrants and it changed her life. And she started investing heavily in real estate. Mind mm -hmm. you, I don't know what her savings was like beforehand, but she said that book changed everything for her. And then when I read it, I understood why. Um, so I would definitely recommend anyone and everyone to read that book. Uh, but she, I will give as a disclaimer, her daddy is good in real estate. He has millions of dollars. Like they were like, yeah, we only deal with her because of her dad. Cause I'm like a half a million dollars mm -hmm. is a good reason to deal with someone. She has pretty good income to me. But then I see like daddy's making like millions. So I don't mm -hmm. know if he helped her to get into that first property or so. She also partnered with it on, with her brother. So he may have already been into real estate a lot longer, it looked like, because I think we did their taxes too. When you get CPA, you get to dive into everybody's stuff. <laughs> and we do dive into all y'all's stuff. But yeah. um, so I will say that like she had family members that were already selling in real estate that she didn't got to partner with. But they started buying up houses in um, one of these states that did not have any um, taxes, any state taxes. And it's a great vacation spot. And so they were able to buy it up in like not the hottest city, but like adjacent. And I just saw it and I was just like, whoa like it is mm. cash flowing so well and they have multiple properties some of them that she's partnered with on her brother with some of them that it's just a partnership between her and her husband um and it's doing amazing she's not a teacher anymore i can tell you that she is yeah. not a school teacher anymore and she is doing amazing killing it so yeah i even though i cannot i have not been able to replicate her results in within one year time frame Still reading that book was a game changer and made some mindset shifts for me. And I think that everything begins in your mind and your way of thinking. So um, I feel like I can learn from anybody. Uh, if you're a business owner, I recommend The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. He's a little um, raunchy. Uh, you know, if you like he has one one chapter, he wanted to name it uh, something with the B word. <laughs> And so, I mean, you really have to have tough skin to listen to Grant, uh, but I think it's worth it. I, I take the stance that I can learn from anybody. And so um, that book is good. I have some productivity books I just bought uh, from Michael Hyatt. So any of those. And you can read a lot of this stuff for free at your library. Uh, yeah. I went crazy buying a couple of books yesterday, but then I took a lot of pictures of other books and I found them on the library app. So I was like, I'm just going to read these at the library. And then yeah. also doing stuff for like spiritual growth, personal growth as well, um, to look inward. So like right now I'm reading um, Sarah Jakes Roberts book, Woman Evolve. Um, mm -hmm. That's a really great book. Uh, there's Blue Ocean. So, I mean, because everything kind of intertwines into 
finances, even if it's just not a finance book, if you're working on your personal growth, then it's going to reflect inside of your finances. So it's not always just about finding a book about how to handle money. I think that the same way we all know how we can lose weight, we all know how we can manage money. We know we need to save more. We know we need to budget. We know we need to get out of debt. We know these things, but simply knowing those things does not always motivate you to do better or think that you can actually achieve it. So sometimes you need to do some inner work and work on self first. So, um, yeah, I have like a couple of books that I'm right now, I'm reading like two, three books at a time. So I'm like reading Sarah Jakes Roberts, Woman Evolve, while also reading, um, I just bought Damaged But Not Destroyed by Michael Todd that just came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a pastor. So I read a lot of stuff that's also dealing with like personal growth, but also from a spiritual level because I'm a Christian. So I don't know. I love books. (laughs) Me too. Um, That's why I usually ask Yes, what they're reading and, and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm happy you, you dived into other types of books too, because when I asked the question, I'm like, I shouldn't have asked just wealth and stuff like that, because you're very much right. Like everything kind of touches on each other. So if yeah. you're, you know, just personal growth in general helps you with money management and stuff like that. And it all kind of relates to each other in some way. So, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I have to mention this one other book. that I just finished. It's called A Happy Pocket Full of Money. Okay. Um, Mm. It's a really great book. If you're a Christian, you may start it and be like, "Mm, what are you talking about? Like, is this even like, is this like the Antichrist? It's not like, it's like he takes a scientific approach and he kind of talks about different religions and how they see money and stuff like that. So he may have a quote from Buddha while also having quotes from Jesus in the Bible, while also talking about science and the quantum physics and whatever else. Um, that first chapter is really hard to get through. Just bear with it. Like just like tunnel, tunnel through, but read it um, mm. all the way through or listen to it. I listened to it because um, that's what I had to do. I probably would have fell asleep if I was reading it myself. And mm. my husband and I were we had a long drive and we were able to like at first we looking at each other like this sounds retarded. But it was recommended to us to read it. And yeah. it definitely is a game changer. So it's about money. It's about how money is an energy and how it's meant to flow. That's why it's currency. And so um, it's really attacks your money mindset as well and is a game changer. So uh, and then at the very end, it actually gets into like, oh, you should invest this month or, you know, do do this with your money. I think he has a 70, 10, 10, 10 rule. Um, but that's really too little for me. I think that you definitely need to save way more than 10%. But uh, I think it was still a good way for him to say, like, use 70% for what you want, 10% for taxes, 10% for charity, 10% for investing in yourself. So that was his rule. But I think it was really a really good read. Um, Overall, he didn't get into any strategies until the end, but he really attacked the mindset on money and how you view money. Um, throughout the book and just like how you can meditate a little bit better. So highly recommend that book. Really great read. Awesome. Well, Brie, it's been awesome talking to you. Before we wrap up, um, can you let the listeners know how they can reach you if they want to work with you or anything else that you want to share? Yes, um, definitely reach out to me on my website, bdsmithfinancial.com. You can book a coffee chat or quick chats. Um, that's like no sales pitch. We can just talk and get to know each other if that's what you want to do. Um, if you're looking to be able to buy my products, then definitely look out for like a financial breakthrough call or tax prep 
discovery call uh, would be the best way for us to handle that. And then um, I'm on social media at Bree Smith CPA everywhere. LinkedIn, Bree Smith CPA, Facebook, Bree Smith CPA, but at Bree Smith CPA. Um, my name is common, but apparently when I add that CPA to it, it's not. So <laughs> if you just Google Bree Smith CPA, I come up. Awesome. Bree, thank you so much for talking to me today. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yes, it was a pleasure talking to you too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Thoughtfully Mindless. If you enjoyed this episode, sharing it is always greatly appreciated. And if you want to find me on social media, I am Thoughtfully Mindless on Instagram and TikTok. And on Twitter, I am at TM Convos. Until next time.